Uh oh. <laughs> Ryan is currently kind of drinking and handling children. <laughs> I guess we can't re- I guess we can't release the video components of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's dealing with a he's dealing with a rash. So uh, that's okay. why we're not at the beach because his rash keeps getting worse at the beach. Mm-hmm. So he has to go diaperless for so we can leave tomorrow. He needs it, to just be it, uh, air drying. Question: yeah, yeah, Question: yeah. Is mm. he going through chemo since he's hairless? He is ten months old, Thomas. He's only, he, but he's been walking for two months already, though. Thomas was born with a very full head of hair, and it's just he was. slowly shrinking ever since. No, like all, he really he should most. I think most kids by now, but ours are usually bald for the first like year and a half. Once they get to my age, they're bald again. And they've only got they've only got about a six week yeah, period. It's, they've got full yeah, hair. it's a very short window. I had some really thick hair though for a while, and I so I didn't think what he couldn't just let me do one without like. Can I just do one episode without Chris? I'm Thomas, here, you didn't tell me you let him in the room. You said he was coming on. You didn't say he was here. I'm at the pool, so um, if this is too if this is too distracting, I can go somewhere louder. <laughs> uh, Patrick is upstairs working. I can have him come down here and do his calls like right next to me. And Why so don't we you just get, get Patrick his... to come down here and we can chat NBA? If I could get him to do anything besides work, then I would. Am I joining very... midstream or have you guys not started yet? We we have not started yet. This was uh, well, pre-gaming. That's disappointing. Oh, was it? Because I joined mid also, and I I thought I was I I thought I interrupted soccer talk. You'll do whatever you can to record without me. As soon as I get off, you'll start the episode. Thomas and I have been jabbering in various formats for like two and a half hours already today. Some Argentine dude left uh, Barcelona or something or vice versa. Ryan, can you mute that? Which? That that thing that that you're holding. Oh, there's a very... (laughs) There's a very short soccer player who no longer plays for Barcelona. Am I correct? Yeah, uh, there is a very short soccer player who Barcelona have announced no longer plays for Barcelona. I I, I don't understand. So they they said he's no longer on our team, but he might still be on the team. Well, they said he's no longer on the team, and is it is entirely the fault of those darn salary cap rules. Stupid league! Why won't they bend the salary cap rules for the greatest player of all time? Is there any chance AFC Richmond will pick him up? Uh, no. What's he the will, team? He, if he leaves, he will go to to one team and one team only, and that team is PSG. We're gonna dance Paris to one song, Germain, one song only. Who are owned by the Qatari royal family? What What's the team that uh, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds owns? Uh, Wrexham, I think. I think they. I think they own Wrexham. That's which what it is. is uh, yeah. Well, they own it's, a Welsh, it's a Welsh team that plays in the English league system. So they're not even in the same... Not even in the same country. Not, not, no. in, the not same in the same universe. country as the same country. Are you making? Are you laughing because you're saying that was a stupid question, Thomas? No, I'm, I'm laughing because I didn't realize they own Wrexham, and Wrexham is... No one cares about Wrexham. They're not billionaires. What did you expect them? Which team did you expect them to buy? Like like a team that actually plays football. I, I don't know. Is Wrexham is are they even in the championship? Are they in League One? 
Uh, they're they're either in League Two or maybe the conference. <laughs> I mean, they're I'm not. Laughing. They're not. They're not super high up. I'm laughing because Rexum sounds like Rectum. <laughs> Just to be clear, I, they have a game probably to probably why they bought any more town. Can I kick Ryan? I think I can kick Ryan. Hang on. Well, why are we why are we kicking Ryan? Oh, he's gone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Unbelievable. Kicked Ryan out? Dra- drunk with power or, or drunk with something else. You could be drunk with both. My frozen margarita is melted. You can see how little ice there is and how much tequila. You you will you will just have to drink it. I, I intend to. Do, do you have a countdown for me? Can you like can you give me a countdown of any sort? Do you need do you need like a one, a two, a one, two, three, four type thing, or would you prefer a three, two, one? I I I, ju- I just need a countdown where I when I know where to start. All right, all right. I'm gonna do a three, two, one for you. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna you know we're gonna go. All right, three, two, one, go. Oh, is yeah, that, that's is that... that's because you don't want your voice on the on the oh. go. Oh, him, 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 hit it. Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the substandard expanded universe. You are listening to the SSEU podcast, the first podcast to appear on the internet. Today is a special episode because I, I will be honest, uh, I'm, I'm a bit annoyed uh, at my co-hosts. This is the one week during the year where I actually do work. And, and what do they do during the week? Well, they're not here. So one of them, the SEC-loving cow licker from Austin, goes to Florida to party with the cast from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Chris is off on, I don't know, some sort of rumspringer. No, just kidding. Uh, Chris is also traveling with his family. He posted a photo the other day where it, where it looked like he might have been 22, 24 years of age, something like that. Uh, he looked buff, fit, and in shape. I believe that he is currently somewhere in New Jersey, potentially in Atlantic City, so, in order to get an episode together this week, I had to call in reinforcements. And I, I thought to myself, who doesn't have a real job that I can convince to jump on to record? And it turned out that the answer was really easy. Uh, Matt Roberts, longtime friend and former guest of the podcast. Matt, how are you? Hey, Thomas, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. I, I guess I still have to introduce you. So to, to give everyone a little bit of info on Matt, even though he has been on before, is that Matt here, Matt is an associate of Stanford University and the editor of the podcast Enduring Interest, hosted by Flag Taylor. He is an expert on everything and anything from Marvel movies to PC games to climbing. Matt, would you say that's that's correct? I think you probably could have just left it off uh, after the word everything. I, I would say that I'm an expert on everything. <laughs> I am I am very active on Twitter, and as one knows, everybody on Twitter is an expert on on everything. I've learned a lot about epidemiology, <laughs> the law, and various other lawyerings over the last year or so. Uh, okay, but but like, what about the important stuff, like like the science of the science of pants or pants? I am well known, I admit, for my uh, 
pants goodness equation, right. which uh, could, could you take, give us takes, a- takes into account the fabric the pant is made of, the fit, the amount of gusseting around the crotch, whether it includes an integrated belt, that sort of thing. And and the best pant uh, would then be an IKEA pant. Correct. Now, question: Do they make those IKEA pants out of the same material they make those giant blue zippered bags out of? It's basically like a tarp. I, I do know that they make. And if not, why not? <laughs> I mean, they should. They make packs out of those. I don't know if you have seen those. Do you know somebody who's getting one? Uh, no, I, I was at IKEA yesterday. I I did not buy one. The best pants for any sort of technical activity are the Prana Zion. The Prana Zion. Prana Zion. What, They've what got a nice, sense? nice stretchy gusseted crotch. They do have an integrated belt, which kind of sucks, but they're extremely comfortable, very breathable. They have little snaps on the leg for when you want to roll the pants up if you're going to do like some sort of technical heel hooking and a climbing maneuver. What they have an integrated, so they have a belt that that is stuck to the pants. They have a belt that is part of the pants. Oh, yeah, man, it's a terrible idea. Integrated belts stink. They're awful, but they are okay because they are slightly low, slightly more low profile than like a regular belt with like a big Texas cowboy buckle, you know, and those just aren't very comfortable when you have to wear a climbing harness. I'll never forget, Thomas, the first time you and I met, the first that the first thing I noticed, the what, what? first thing I noticed about you was that the meeting has been upgraded by the host and now includes unlimited minutes. Apparently that's what I'm being informed. No, it was the, it was the, it was the, the, just the amount of chest that you were showing underneath your uh, collared shirt and sweater combination. I don't know how you pulled it off, but it was. Was this one we went to Jaleo? Ooh, I was thinking, I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of a meetup at a, at a party, a party at a house that shall not be disclosed. Oh, as uh, as friend of the show, was it uh, Rick Licari might have put it? He's not gay. He's just European. You can be two things. <laughs> <laughs> what grinds your gears today? Where do I start? The Olympics are still happening. The Olympics yeah. are still happening. That's what? a thing that grinds my gears. Why? The Olympics shouldn't exist. They're terrible. They're a stupid little great power competition for shitty little underdeveloped, corrupt, godless nations like China and what remains of the Soviet Union. Isn't that the best part of the Olympics is that there isn't actually a country competing in Olympics known as Russia, but there are athletes from the country of Russia participating in the Olympics. And yet every time they happen to win something, when you go look and see like, um, oh, I don't know, you go to like the New York Times, right? And the New York Times publishes their summary of the Olympic results. What does it say? It says Russia wins a medal. It doesn't say Russia athlete sponsored by International Olympic <laughs> Committee neutral venue wins a medal. It says fucking Russia. They should have been banned, Thomas. And I'm not the only one that thinks this. American swimmer, uh, what's his face? Ryan Murphy? Yeah. He thinks so. So does the British guy. Came in third in that race. I can't wait for like, I don't know, like five years. We'll find out that actually the Russian guy was dope to his gills. He was so doped that he actually had gills, giving him a an enormous advantage in swimming. Isn't it a great thing that the Japan or Tokyo Olympics, in, in every graphic you see, they, they still talk about Tokyo 2020. It seems like the Japanese have mastered time travel. But also, I mean, I don't know. 
the European championships happened over the summer and those were the Euros 2020. So maybe they stole this technology from the land of your birth, Sweden. Have you been watching anything uh, at or from the Olympics during the past, what, whatever, three and a half weeks? You know, I watched uh, I watched an American guy win the gold medal in skeet shooting. <laughs> skeet shooting? Skeet shooting. I watched a tiny little bit of skateboarding and then I realized I didn't care. And that's been it. That's all I've watched. So, so this is the thing I've realized about the Olympics, though, is that if you're sort of into sports and you start watching the Olympics, it, it it sort of works as a gateway drug into other sports because I started watching the Olympics and then suddenly I found myself watching, I don't know, swimming, which I don't care about, or skeet shooting, or the, the one sport that I know absolutely nothing about, sailing. And they were sailing all of these different boats And apparently Sweden had a chance at the medal and I got really invested in them. I mean, sports that have stakes are cool. And when you get invested in the stakes, that's awesome. You know, that's the easiest way to care about something. I just find, I just personally find it really difficult to care about the stakes when I'm convinced that nearly every other country is systematically cheating. (laughs) And that's not fair. It's not nearly every other, let's be real here. It's not nearly every other country and it's not all the events or anything like that. But the thing that's really strange to me that I'm not exactly sure how to explain is that it seems like the American sprinter excellence or whatever you want want to call it has disappeared because like Italy uh, on the men's side, they, they won the gold on 100 meters and Jamaica is dominating on the women's side. So I, I like, I have no idea what happened to American sprinters. Are, are, are they just not doping well enough? Is that? It's entirely possible. Um, I wonder without totally without any support for this at all, I wonder what the sponsorship breakdowns look like, because uh, one thing that has been uh, a point of emphasis in distance running, at least over the last couple of years or so, is that Nike's shoe is like 5% faster than any of the competitors shoes. And maybe it's going to, and like the only thing that's keeping that particular shoe design from being banned from marathons and that sort of thing is that if you ban Nike's shoe, Nike's going to take away all their money. And without Nike, there isn't enough money to keep professional marathon running going. Yeah, I I did hear some talk about a super shoe. And I'm not sure if this is like Nike shoe or whatever, but there was some talk about the, the super shoe and how some athletes, some Swedish athletes weren't using it, where it might have given them an advantage. I don't know. You know what I watched today? I watched the final in the women's soccer competition in the Olympics where Sweden faced off with Canada. Uh, the U.S., nowhere to be seen. The U.S. is a has-been when it comes to comes to soccer or football. We uh, we lost. We, we lost the final. How do you feel about Canada after this? This sort of stunning defeat and upset. Uh, You're I mean, embracing it with magnanimity and the uh, grace of a, of a of a loser gazing upon a deserving winner. I'm sure. I'm mostly embracing it with alcohol, but I, I also want to mention this thing. Canada is probably the worst country on the face of the planet, after New Jersey, where Canada's prime minister. It's only he's only a prime minister because of his dad and the fact that he has very luscious, very beautiful hair. In Canada, it is cold 
11 and a half months out of the year, their only chain restaurant is Tim Hortons. The, the police in Canada, they're known as Mounties, and they cannot serious, be taken seriously. Well, the good news is that Canada is apparently a good country for old people. What? And uh, yeah, apparently. I thought Florida was the best place for old people. The problem with Florida is that, it, I mean, Florida is great for, you know, but the problem with Florida is that it's damp. Oh, you know, yeah. you got to deal with that humidity and the rain and the alligators and stuff. You're way better off in a place like Arizona. I, I've been to Florida once in my lifetime. We spent a week there. And I like the first couple of days that we were there, I just, I just felt like constantly wanting to take a shower. Uh, then I, I sort of got over it and I decided, well, if I'm going to sweat, everyone else is sweating, it's fine. But oh, yeah, nobody I, else showers down here. I'm not going to either. Life in the Florida Panhandle. Uh, okay, but like, so which part of the which part of Florida were you in? Because Florida uh, is very much like three different countries. There's like Disney, Florida, and then there's Miami, Florida, where they do all the cocaine. Like, did you know this is actually a crazy fact? I don't know if you knew this, but seventy um, percent of all cocaine consumption in the United States occurs within Miami. It's 70%? true. It's true. 70% of all cocaine usage okay. is actually in about four nightclubs in Miami and like on the beaches and then like out in the water. Yeah, no, that's a true fact. I didn't just make that up uh, okay. right here, right now. And then there's the rest of Florida, which is basically just like Georgia, but shittier somehow. Uh, I, I, I spent my weekend in, in the Disney part of Florida. Okay, you went down to Kissimmee. I believe that's where our hotel was. Yes. Did you think that the name was like a like an invitation or some sort of double entendre? Or uh, it was the and then so so we spent some time there. We we went to Disney. We went to the Universal Resort in Orlando. Uh, then we also went to um, what, what's the place where the where the NASA thing is Cape Canaveral. Yeah, Cape Canaveral. Uh, Watch some phalluses fire off into space. You you know what my favorite. Part about the Olympics is though, is that it, it is all these sports that you usually don't see. And so uh, during the Summer Olympics, one of the sports where Sweden still has a shot at gold is in uh, I, I, team horse jumping. I, I don't think that's team team show jumping. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it's called. It, it's unclear to me what this sport is actually called. You, you that's have weird. A, I would have thought the Russians had a lock on anything to do with horses and jumping on them. You have a course... And you jump around with your horse and you're supposed to do it without breaking any of the, the obstacles. And you're also supposed to do it on time. Uh, and so in the in the individual jumps, uh, one of the Swedes did really well and managed to grab silver, which made me really surprised because my impression was that, you know, Canada with all of their Mounties would really mount the challenge uh, for one of the medals, but they were nowhere to be seen. The gold medal, of course, went to whoever was riding Sarah Jessica Parker. Hey, yo. Sarah Jessica Parker's still alive, I'll be honest. I don't know the answer to that question. I believe they are making another Sex and the City movie. Okay, because if you had told me that Sarah Jessica Parker <laughs> was actually in jail for that, like, college admissions scandal from a couple of years ago, I think I would have just accepted it totally credulously. Is that the same scandal that uh, caught, uh, what's her name? Uh, Hoffman? No. Well, what's her name? Yeah, that other person. Oh, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. 
what, what she the one where they were just like, oh yeah, here's a bunch of made up Olympic sports and let's pretend our children are really, really good at yeah. it just so that they can get into USC for some reason. Who wants to go to USC? Thomas, I have a question. Is there a collegiate acronym with better double entendre potential than USC? Because there are two USCs that matter and one is the Gamecocks and the other is the Trojans. <laughs> Uh, In college football news, the Trojans covered the Gamecocks today. <laughs> this brings me on to the, another topic that I want to talk about is college conference realignment, where it seems like Oklahoma and Texans are abandoning the Big 12 for the SEC, leaving great schools like Oklahoma State University in the lurch without the home, wondering where are we supposed to go? I've never heard of such a shocking and tragic injustice I cared so little about. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is shocking that Texas joins the conference and then they, they destroy them. Where do your collegiate allegiances lie? Um, I'm happy to talk about this subject. Uh, college sports is a fraud. People <laughs> who like college sports are idiots and should just be watching professional sports which is where really high-level athletes go to play really high-level sports rather than glorified high school pickup games coached by idiots for hordes of yodeling morons who glom onto this ridiculous myth of amateurism. So does this mean that you're not a fan of the SEC? Basically, college sports are the Olympics of real sports. <laughs> They're a sham. They're a joke. And if you care about them, you're a fool. Quickly. I, I don't know. That said, go Duke. Because they play the right way. Also, because they're totally honest about what they are, which is a prep school for professional basketball players. <laughs> Speaking of basketball, so w- would you like to lay out the case for why it is that Cade Cunningham is the best number or prospect in NBA's history? Uh, no. I would not care to do such a thing. (laughs) I'll tell you what Cade Cunningham is. Cade Cunningham might have the highest floor of any recent NBA number one draft pick. Cade Cunningham is going to have a good career in the NBA. That's what he's going to do. He's going to have a good career in the NBA. Will he maybe be a great player? Maybe not. But he can shoot, and he's 6'8", and he can play defense. So he'll have a good career. There's, I, I think there is no way Cade Cunningham is bad. I'll give you that, Thomas. I know okay. he comes from Oklahoma, so you're, you're, you're a partisan. No, but, no, uh, no. Slow down, slow down. Oklahoma State. I, I, I just want to make that very clear for, for the purpose of the show. Not you're, you're not a Sooner. You're a cow poke or whatever it is that they are. Cowboy. Pistols firing. Uh, would you would you also like to, to talk about? Chris asked me to ask you this: Is that uh, the Bucks? Uh, how was their draft? Would you review the Bucks draft for me this year? Yeah. Gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. The Wolves, not the Bucks. I was gonna say like, yeah. You're like, uh, hang, who did hang, the Bucks pick? And I was no, like, no, no. honestly, I don't even know. No, no, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <clears throat> Chris. Uh, asked me to ask you what your take is on uh, the Wolves pick this year in the NBA draft. Yeah, I think the Wolves got a really fantastic value this year (laughs) by trading their 2021 first round draft pick uh, along with along with a Canadian player, actually, uh, named Andrew Wiggins, 
to the Golden State Warriors for D'Angelo Russell, who is a short point guard who's not very good at passing and is an okay shooter. He's, he's a decent shooter and can't play any defense at all and also compensates for all of this by getting injured a lot and being very expensive. Their first-round draft pick this year turned into the uh, number seven overall selection of Jonathan Kuminga, who is a Congolese, I think, oh. player who, uh, until he went to the NBA G League last year and skipped the whole college rigmarole altogether, um, was a potential number one overall selection. He dropped this year due to concerns about attitude and motor, but he's super athletic. And uh, if he puts it all together, could have a pretty solid, pretty solid career, all-star upside. He could uh, be a better player than D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I, I will say that I've watched one basketball game so far in the Olympics uh, where I believe it was uh, France playing the USA in the first game and France actually ended up winning. Yeah, they did. They have some good players yeah, like that, uh, Rudy Gobert, actually. Rudy Gobert, who you might remember from such things as uh, getting the NBA shut down last year as the coronavirus pandemic started to uh, spread. They played Iran earlier in the Olympics and they won by like 55 or something. I mean, it was a video game score. But didn't you make uh, this point earlier on Twitter about how like if you got to train for four years, which which sport would you pick? Oh, yeah, I picked three on three basketball uh, because, number one, I don't think you would ever technically have to play. You you could sit on the bench. <laughs> um, and like I, I, I stipulated that two of your teammates would be Anthony Davis, who is seven feet tall and outrageously athletic. Uh, and another one of your teammates would be Kevin Durant, who is seven feet tall and outrageously <laughs> athletic and also an outrageously good shooter. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think at that point you could literally sit on a folding chair in the corner and still win the gold medal two on three. Maybe we could have Cade Cunningham as the, the third guy on that team. Thing, Holy shit. Thomas. What, what happened? Thing I did not know. Well, Barcelona was founded in 1899. Okay. Leo Messi has scored one out of every 12 goals Barcelona have scored in their club's history. Yeah. And he has won a third of their trophies. Crazy. How long has he been with Barcelona? After they brought him over and promised that they would pay for his surgery whatever. and fill him with yeah. steroids and that yeah. sort of thing. Make sure that he wasn't tiny. Uh, he's uh, still tiny. He made his he made his professional first team debut for Barcelona in November 2003. 17 years ago? 18 years ago? 18 years ago this year. Which means, actually, I need to double check something here. Okay, his his first team debut was in a friendly against Jose Mourinho's Porto side in November 2003. That was before Mourinho had won the Champions yeah. League with Porto. Yeah, it was that. It was that season, actually, two thousand three, two thousand four. I don't know how many current Barcelona fans are only Barcelona fans because of Messi. So, like, w- what happens? Well, I expect that PSG are hoping that they become PSG fans and start buying PSG shirts. I don't, I think they have enough money to not give a shit. Yes, but like, I feel like if they buy the if they buy shirts, then they can like write it off as like, oh yeah, no, this is totally financially fair play compliant. That's why we're paying him. 
$70 million a season. Right. You know who I would like to compete with, who I would like to be my teammate if I were in the Olympics? Ted Lasso. So, is positivity uh, a gold medal event? <laughs> Dart throwing? Is that, a, is that a sport? Is that a competition that they get okay. a gold medal for? Okay, let me say it. So Chris, what are you gonna are you gonna throw? What's the what what's 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 the food that you like? You throw the dart, and at like right before you throw it in the like big pressure moment, you have to say like a, a home homey sort of food, right? What would it be? Uh, I, I don't know, a potato casserole. banana pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, uh, you might want Chris to- is not on the podcast. No, no, no. But Honestly. he might either want to go watch the first few episodes of season two or just fast forward 10 minutes because I I can't promise that there won't be spoilers. Right. No, I, I can promise that there will be Ted Lasso season two spoilers <laughs> beginning right now. <laughs> fast forward <laughs> if you do not wish to be spoiled as we talk about the shocking death that occurs in <laughs> Ted Lasso season two. Okay, but but Matt, so you haven't been on the show and talked about Ted Lasso before. So true. Could, could, could you first, like, uh, what did you think of the first season? So I think the first season is really, really good. I wish they knew just a little bit more about soccer and like actually used that in plot lines because it does matter, I think, like, I think it tells you something about how rich Rebecca is, for example, that her plan is, yeah, I'm just going to get relegated and write off about $80 million, you know, 80 million pounds of potential income. You know what I mean? Like relegation is actually like a huge financial deal. And she's taking an enormous bath by getting her team relegated. I yeah. wish that had been like interrogated just a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, th- this was one of the fascinating things with American Ted Lasso Twitter was that they discovered that relegation is a thing and they sort of talked about it, but they don't really know what it is. So if you're in the Premier League and you get relegated to the championship, you might be fine the first couple of seasons because you have a parachute from the Premier League. But you're going to be fucked financially when when you don't get that sweet Premier League, Sky News, or whoever it is, money. Yeah, the uh, so the promotion system, which is the system that undoes the effects of relegation, basically, involves a playoff. And the game that determines the final team, three teams go down, three teams go up. The game that determines the final team that goes up to the Premier League is uh, considered by some people the richest game in sports, potentially worth 170 million Mm. pounds in cash. Yeah. So, you know, the only time they really touch on that is is in one of the last episodes when, when one of the players says the teams that are relegated don't stay together. And the reason they don't stay together is that they can't afford to. And it, yeah. again, it would have been nice if they had maybe like just sort of nudged in that direction. Right. But, and, and this is one of the things where American sports fans, some American sports fans, they, they, they see this idea of relegation and promotion and they like it. And they think that, oh, maybe we should have something like that in the U.S., well, yes, maybe, but the thing is that that would require like a huge change to 
whether it is the MLB or the NBA or the NHL or whatever, it would be such a massive change because you can't just tank a season and think that you will be fine. Right. It for some clubs, it for some teams, it triggers essentially a death spiral mm-hmm. where a team goes down and they spend themselves into bankruptcy trying to get back up. And the result is that they collapse and are never heard from again. As an example, Blackburn Rovers or Bolton Wanderers, both of whom were in the English Premier League in the in the mid-2000s, are now, what, in League One? They've been relegated twice. Yeah, together Fort with... Smith is yeah, another team. Uh, Sunderland uh, is another one. I think they're in League One right now. Yeah, or Sunderland like are in League One. It is also the system that allows for these like fairy tales where smaller teams actually manage to get all the way to the top. Like we had an episode on the podcast a very long time ago where we talked about Wimbledon, which was one of those teams in the mid 90s. They made it to the premiership. They managed to win the FA Cup. Like it makes for amazing stories, but it, it's, it, is, it is a different system. But, but so like, did you enjoy the first season of Ted Lasso? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's the best comedy of its it's the best comedy I've seen of its type since community, I think. Um, it uh, it does a really good job, I think, of balancing between pure comedy and the uh, the sort of warmer the sort of warmer elements while also including just enough regular stuff to act as ballast and like really make the punchlines stick out. I, I don't I, I don't know enough about community. Who brings the warmth? Is it is it Pierce? Yeah, Pierce, the uh, older, you know, the older the older guy played by uh, played by played by Chevy Chase, who was constantly <laughs> fighting with the writers who wanted to make his character just a little bit more racist. And he wanted to make his character just like Fletch. Well, wasn't he kicked off the show or something after a season? Yep. A couple? <laughs> yeah. A season. Uh, he was kicked off the show after three seasons, I think. Mm. Um, mostly for being a jerk, but it also seems like a lot of people were a jerk during the making <laughs> of that show. So, no, but I, I don't know. I, I haven't really watched Community, so maybe that is a good comparison. But I, I think that Ted Lasso is at least the first season of Ted Lasso is probably the best example that we will get of sort of a feel good sitcom. I'd agree with that. Yeah, no, it is enjoyable to watch. There are is it eight or ten episodes or something like that? Uh, they are mm-hmm. they are just long enough. None of them are longer than half an hour, and it's it's just fun. Yeah, and it's really hard to do that feel good comedy thing well. Uh, Mel Brooks has a line where he says, "Tragedy is when I cut my finger, and comedy is when you walk into an open sewer and die." Right. <laughs> And there's something like there's something to that. It's a lot easier to to make like it's a lot easier to do things that are funny when it's like, oh, look, this guy just walked into a tree. It, that's funny. Ha ha. It's hard to do comedy where good stuff happens to people because a lot of comedy is subverting expectations. And generally speaking, our expectations are that when you have good people, they deserve good things and we expect them to get good things because that's how storytelling kind of works it's hard to be like oh yeah this person is good and they get something that's nice and that's funny somehow it's hard to make that linkage which is why a lot of these comedies that aim for that feel-good thing turn into kind of soft melodramas or or into just pure schmaltz and it doesn't work right but but ted lasso works like well the reason ted part of the reason ted lasso works is that it 
doesn't end with the good thing happening. Right. It, it ends with relegation, which, as you said earlier, is probably a bigger thing than they sort they of make, make it, it out to be. Yeah. Right. They've gone through the first season. They've been relegated from the Premier League. They're, they are now in the championship. Although I think in the in the first couple of episodes, they, they don't actually say that. They, they don't mention anything about where they are playing football, do they? I think they mention it in the first season. I think there's a scene where Coach Beard is explaining to Ted how relegation works. And he says, you go down, <laughs> like, you get, you go down and Ted's like, wait, if you get relegated, you get to play in the championship. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, yeah, I, I appreciate that this is probably way too much context <laughs> to, to possibly provide in a half hour comedy for American viewers. There's a reason it's called the championship. And that reason is stupid and complicated. So let's but, just leave it alone. Yeah, but like in, in, the, in, in the first couple of episodes of the second season, they didn't even touch on that. No, they don't. <laughs> no. No, they don't. So, nor do they nor do they touch on the fact that like we don't know exactly how far in season they are at the beginning of the sec at the beginning of the second season. All we know is that they've played like seven or eight games, all of which have been draws. Yes. Which like Wait, wait, hang on, Matt. What is a draw for our American listeners? What what's a draw? A draw is when the scores are the same at the end of the game. Oh. Uh-huh. American listeners might call it a tie. But the British use the word tie to indicate the teams that are playing in a match. For example, the Super Bowl, my, the Super Bowl tie would be the two teams playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, which, You arrive which, at the teams that are playing in a tie by conducting a draw where the teams are literally drawn out of a hat <laughs> sometimes. Basically, European sports are fucking weird. Right. We're going to put an E on this episode. Right. right. And so, so if any if any Europeans are listening to this, the Super Bowl is the game where Tom Brady's team faces another team. That, that's the Super Bowl. Uh, yes. Uh, 40% right. of the time. <laughs> so in Ted Lasso season two, what are the main arches, uh, the main plot points? Yeah, so right now it seems like there are uh, there are there are three plots going on. The first is uh, Ted struggling to get to grips with uh, managing in a league where his team should be the favorite and should be winning most of the time, uh, while integrating a new staff member who appears to be immune to his particular brand of Midwestern charm. There is also a plot about the uh, about about young Jamie Tart having retired from football to compete on uh, some version of Fuckboy Island. It's like Love Island, I think, is the real title of the show. No, isn't Love Island like an actual, it's it's like Lust Island or something, like Island of Lust. Love Island is the title of the show in real life, and then the, the, show, in, the, the show in the show is... Lust Conquers All is the name of the show. Yeah, is the name of the show on 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 Ted Lasso. Uh, so Jamie Tart has retired from football to compete on this Love Island knockoff reality show, and Roy Kent is uh, also retired from football and is uh, swearing at eight year old girls to make them uh, tackle harder on a football pitch. And those are sort of the three things that are going on right now. Right. And uh, critically, critically, uh, none of them have anything to do with each other. 
No. Thomas, do you think that affects the quality of the show? Yes. No, I, I think it does. Well, I, and so so you, you mentioned that one of the things that happens is that they bring in a new character, right? So so one of the things that happen is that they're, uh, I, be, I believe he's Mexican, right? Like the, the guy who loves football. I, I forget his name right now. Danny Rojas. Danny Rojas. He Danny loves Rojas, football. Rojas. He gets what they in the show call the gyps. The yips, Thomas. It's the yips. Uh, the yips. I, I don't know. Matt, can you, can you describe that to me? Like, you, yeah, you're, most, you're a Jew. Got the hair. No, I don't. Um, the uh, if, you're, if you're up on your online drama, I'm a Jew the same way Katie Herzog is. Hey, yo. Um, <laughs> so the yips are a, a, a psychological condition that affects athletes that prevents them from just doing the most basic part of the thing, what it is that they do. And they are, so Thomas, speaking of the Olympics, there has been a case of this kind of publicly recently with Simone Biles. The thing in gymnastics is called the twisties. And in gymnastics, the twisties is different from the yips because the twisties involves doing something kind of hard where the yips affect you in doing the most simple things. The most famous cases of the yips usually involve golfers who suddenly, for no reason whatsoever, find themselves totally unable to putt. So anyway, so Danny Rojas, uh, he he gets the jits, which is a reason to bring in another character into the show, who is supposed to be like the team psychologist or whatever, um, which I, I assume that the purpose of this character is to play the straight Although I, although I doubt it, the, the straight woman on the show. Although I doubt it. <laughs> I think she's there to introduce some conflict. That locker room has always been very harmonious. And conflict, comedy requires conflict. And once you take out Roy, who fights with everybody. Right. And Jamie, who fights with everybody. And you've resolved the central conflict of season one, which is Rebecca trying to get the team relegated. Suddenly what you're left with is a group of characters who are led by Ted and by young Sam Obisanya, who uh, smiles and loves Harry Potter and, you know, has a, is very, very aware of other people's feelings and being nice to them and, and meek little, meek little Nate. And there's just really not a lot actually happening. What that, what that, that plot requires is a character there who's there to uh, be the straw that stirs the drink, if that makes sense. And the other thing is that Ted has never really had a conflict with anyone. Ted comes into conflicts that are in the first season and sort of resolves them, or at least moves them forward in some way. He's never had a, a problem with anyone specifically, and no one has ever really had a problem with him, except Jamie. And that that story kind of wraps up at the end of the first season. So Dr. Sharon is, uh, is there to push Ted, I think, into, into some places that we haven't seen in the first season. Yeah, well, Whether I mean, it I, works, I don't know yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's obvious that, like, you, at least you're supposed to get the impression that Ted has absolutely no idea how to deal with this woman because she is impervious to, to his charm. And he tries to offer her cookies and he tries to talk to her and he, he tries to do all these things. And she's just like, no, no, I'm not falling for it. 
You mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned, or if you didn't, I am now. Uh, another one of the main plot points of the second season is, is of course, then Roy Kent. And it's not really attached to any of the other like storylines that we have, where he is, uh, what do you say? He is yelling at eight-year-olds? He's yelling at eight-year-olds, Thomas, to make them run harder and tackle harder and presumably punch harder and eventually grow up to be the manager of the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> I thought at the end of the first season, he started reading fairy tales to his uh, niece or whatever it was. And he started to like develop another side. Here he is back to being this one dimensional, grumpy old man just yelling at children. And well, in fairness, I think generally the children enjoy it. I think the <laughs> children tend to react pretty positively towards it. And I think that I think that that story is very incomplete. Obviously, I mean, the, the show is still quite early in its second season, but there's nothing left for that character. And so what you're getting is the the emptiness, right? Right. They can't just say, Roy Kent retired and went into a job as a pundit. We'll see Brett Goldstein in one episode in the second season, because then you would have to replace that character, which means either bringing in a, a totally new actor or, you know, promoting promoting one of the other actors into a leading role. And I think that would just be kind of difficult. And so I think what they're having what they're having trouble with here is figuring out what to do next while keeping all of their cast together. Yeah, uh, or so so the, they're filming then writing if that makes sense. Do you think that the the Ted Lasso feel good charm was only good for one season or can it salvage the second season of the show? Ah, uh, that's tough. I think the second season will be, I mean, I think it'll be salvaged. Yeah, I think the second season will ultimately end up being very good, but I don't think it will have the same sort of feel-good charm. And it certainly won't have the same sort of feel-good charm centered on Ted. It'll be other characters who have to carry that. It, it, it will be centered on the overly honest Dutch player on the team. Uh, isn't there? A, isn't there? A, isn't there an angry Croatian? There's got to be an angry Croatian. <laughs> it turns out is a war criminal. There actually is. If you look at the locker room nameplates, there is a uh, Kukoc Seven, uh, oh. which is a Chicago Bulls reference. If they can bring back the feel good factor, it'll be. I think it'll be Jamie getting his life straightened out, Roy refinding purpose. I don't think it'll be Ted exactly. If we are placing bets here, I, I think that the safe bet is that by the end of the second season, Jamie is the one that gets the team promoted and celebrated by his teammates. That that would be like a Ted Lasso storyline to me. Yeah, I think that's probably I think that's probably about right. I, I also wonder if Roy comes back as a coach. Because I don't see any, I mean, I, I think he'll have to, right? Because I don't see any other way to put him in that room. I don't think that, you can't have him appear in every episode while at the same time not sharing any scenes with the main cast. I don't know if he comes back as a coach or a sneaky, sneaky little, uh, sneaky little idea here. Higgins is technically the director of football. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what if, what if, what if, what if Roy came in as uh, as the director of football or something like that and got, uh, you know, had a, had a say in the transfer business of the team because uh, teams don't make trades, they buy and sell. I don't know. It's, just, it's an idea. Anything that you can do to get him in the room with, with people. Uh, and that would also give him scenes with, uh, with Rebecca, who he has only had one or two little, little moments with, if that. 
No, that's true. Uh, okay, uh, any, anything else about Ted Lasso? Can, can, uh, Thomas, how did you uh, how did you feel uh, when you discovered that that Keeley's kink is uh, sensitive, vulnerable, emotional men? There are some areas that I need to work on still, but but there's potential left. There's some potential. You think <laughs> you and Gino Temple would uh, get along well? No comment. Are you just uh, afraid that Brett Goldstein will come beat you up <laughs> in real life? He, he, I wouldn't he, worry. Apparently, he's a very smiley man. He does have the intimidating look down fairly well. Fairly and well. yet, apparently, he is the number one person most likely to ruin a take by uh, bursting into laughter at an inappropriate moment. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he he has a really difficult time concealing his like desire to smile when something <laughs> funny happens. And his character isn't allowed to smile, so... Transition. By the way, I I can't believe Shannon told me earlier today that I was supposed to work on my transitions. We'll we'll get back to that next week. I will will think of something that she will be pleased with. Anyway, transition. The movie for this week is a movie uh, Matt and I, we, uh, we bantered a lot. Uh, we tried to figure out which movie to watch. We had a lot of different choices. One was, um, uh, what's the movie called? Sky Captain? And Yeah. We considered watching a film called uh, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow and uh, uh, ultimately decided not to because my lovely and talented fiance informed me that it was, and I quote here, boring as shit. What, uh, what was the other movie you suggested? Oh, The November Man. Yeah, uh, the November Man, a uh, sort of generic spy thriller starring uh, Pierce Brosnan and I think Olga uh, Olga Kurlyenko. And I read the plot summary on Wikipedia and can't remember it at all. So, what did we end up watching instead? We ended up watching a movie that is actually very difficult to get a hold of. It's a comedy from 1994 called PCU, starring Jeremy Piven, David Spade. Jessica Walter, fledgling actor, director, John Favreau. This is the John Favreau who went on to direct Elf and the Iron Man movies and the Mandalorian. Not yeah. the one who, uh, not the John Favreau who became a speechwriter for Barack Obama and had a picture taken of him uh, groping a cardboard cutout of Hillary Clinton. Although that is a thing that would have fit very neatly into the world of this movie. you <laughs> made its uh, debut uh, or premiere in 1994. It had a budget of $8 million. Uh, at the box office, it grossed about $4.3 million. It did make a loss, uh, I am sorry to say. Uh, it was written by Adam Leff and Stack Penn. Stack Penn, who might actually be known to people because he is credited as a writer on movies like the Incredible Hulk, and Ready Player One. It was directed by Hark Bochner. not sure how to pronounce that, who uh, I have literally not seen anything else by. So, uh, whatever. Anyway, ECU is, as, Ada, uh, as Matt described it to me, is the anti-liberal movie of the 1990s yeah it uh it is it is it is rated rotten on rotten tomatoes uh for being too anti-liberal uh but it's not quite reactionary either 
it is an interesting movie in that it basically presents people who care about political causes or really causes in general as uh, weirdo losers sort of suggests that the, that, a, that a healthy apathy is the best choice, especially for, for young people who should uh, eat, drink, and be merry so that they can do the same thing again tomorrow, <laughs> basically. What is your big boy review of PCU? If you're going to summarize the plot. Yeah, so PCU is a movie about a, uh, a high school senior, a pre-freshman, who visits a little private college in New Hampshire or something, some some sort of preppy whatever place. He mentions that he's from Delaware, so it's probably not in Delaware, but that area of the country. I don't know. So don't they mention, like, Hartford in, in the show? Oh, yeah, it's probably or in, in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's in Connecticut. And uh, so he, he has arranged uh, with the admissions department to stay with uh, to stay at a place called the Pit with uh, with a person named James Draws Andrews, who sort of runs the last underground fraternity at a campus where political correctness is sort of run amok and fraternities have been banned. In the course of his weekend stay, he manages to enrage nearly every group of students on campus, and the campus is very much divided into different groups of students who all care very passionately about one thing in particular. And that one thing in particular is probably stupid, right? Um, As he is, as he spends the movie uh, running in fear for his life from groups of cause heads, womenists, uh, black liberation supremacists, nerds, Townies and probably another group or two that I've forgotten about. Uh, okay, so so don't the, oh, so, so the university president, played by Jessica Walter, is trying to pull off a uh, a huge campus event with the support of David Spade's group of college Republicans. So so one of it. So I watched this movie the other night together with my sister, who stopped in town while she's traveling back down south. Do, do you know who that president is? Because this is 1994, and I was like, "Do you know who that is?" And it took her a while, and she didn't figure it out. And eventually, I was like, "That's Jessica Walter. You know who that is." And she was like, "Oh yeah, like from the rest of development." Anyway, yeah. So Jessica Walter is is the president of the university. One of the things that I wanted us to to talk about at the beginning is how many different student groups are there on campus? So you mentioned a bunch of them. The a few that you mentioned uh, didn't mention. There, there are the, there are the potheads. Yeah, there's the, there are the potheads of Jerrytown. There are uh, let's see. There's the pit. There the the college Republicans. By the way, are balls and shaft the secret fraternity of balls and shaft, which is not definitely loosely modeled on uh, Yale's skull and bones society at all. Shoot, there are the womenists. Yeah, there are yeah. only a couple. There are only a couple that are named. There's definitely there are definitely other groups that we know about, like right. the bisexual Asian studies department. Uh, there's a hockey team. There's definitely a football team. Uh, the, but the big sport on campus appears to be ultimate frisbee. He he also like like the pre-frosh runs into in, into I'm not sure what to call them the racial justice the BLM group. Yeah, they're like uh, they're like they're they're like uh, pseudo nation of Islamy types. Yeah. You know, there our introduction to them is uh, 
is them them sort of walking, not just sort of walking randomly around campus. It almost seems like they're stalking around campus uh, as, as they as like marching around campus as they talk about how how the walls are painted white and the chalk on the sidewalks is white and the copy of paper is white and it's a white devil's conspiracy. Um, and their big fear is that this this college or this high school senior who's wearing a necktie, he's wearing a jacket and a necktie. He must be there because he's recruiting for the CIA. At least for the first half of the movie, this this prefrosh, this guy in a, in a suit with a necktie, or whatever, he is sort of our vehicle to through which we see campus, right? So yeah, we is- we get to understand all the social relationships on campus first by virtue of James Andrews, who is played by Jeremy Piven, trying to pawn off his duties as weekend host on every single person he knows, uh, which is all of the people in his little underground underground fraternity, uh, a, a pair of like skateboarding idiots, some guys who want to be in a college band and a dude who is uh, writing a thesis on the Kane-Hackman theorem. The idea that at any point on television, there is a movie playing that stars either Michael Caine or Gene Hackman. So the guy that watch that's watching television, he watches television throughout the entire fucking movie. Is he just looking for Gene Hackman? And I believe he is watching Michael Caine and Gene Hackman movies. Yeah. And he eventually, his story ends with him uh, discovering his closing argument. And this move, this 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 wouldn't work at all in like a post-internet world, but it does in the world of 1993 when the movie was made. You know, um, his his closing argument to his thesis is the existence of uh, the movie A Bridge Too Far, which stars both Michael Caine and Gene Hackman. <laughs> He does spend the entire movie watching television, except when he gets up to change the fuses in the fuse box of the house, uh, which sort of is the act that in a way kind of kicks off the entire third act of the movie. Tom Lawrence, played by Chris Young, shows up at this not a fraternity. What, what well, is it's, it called? It's, it's explicitly not a fraternity because fraternities were banned in the 1960s. It's, uh, I think, Club? what we might call a, a student organization. But what it is is a secret society. It, it, is, it is essentially a, an animal house style fraternity. It is the last group of free-spirited pranksters and, and partiers on campus where everybody else has either been pushed into one of these differing identity groups like the womenists or or the cause heads or appears to just be the kind of person who sits in their dorm room and plays go fish (laughs) like everybody else is either uncool or part of one of these anti-fun groups and the pit is the last group of people left that's trying to have a good time Wow. And so in the pit, he meets Jeremy Piven, who is supposed to be his, I don't know, like guide for the weekend or host for the weekend, I guess. Correct. But, but he has been signed up by one of his quote unquote friends to actually be this host. Jeremy Piven plays this character named Draws, who is, I believe, a seventh year senior that- who <laughs> has been signed up as a weekend host for the admissions department in retaliation for a prank he pulled during a trip to Jamaica when he filled his best friend's suitcase 
with um, dog biscuits, which sent the drug sniffing dogs into a uh, right. into a frenzy. All right. So, so let's talk about this. So, if if he's a seventh year, let's assume that he started when he was eighteen. That means that he would be twenty five at the time of this movie. Does Jeremy Piven look twenty five in this movie? He is maybe the least believable twenty five year old. His hairline has receded in this movie. His hairline has receded so much that it is practically on his back. <laughs> I mean, he he has like full on. He has a full on dad bod. He does not look. You know who he actually looks a lot like? He looks like Jerry Seinfeld at the beginning of Seinfeld. He has exactly the same body shape and maybe a hairline that's receded a little bit more. He doesn't look like a twenty five year old. <laughs> But Jeremy Piven is like the the head of this not house unofficial house. Uh, he's the head of the pit. Right. He is. He sort of. He's a little bit of a magician. He has. He he's he's a little bit like. Uh, he's actually a little bit like George Clooney's character in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. He has the gift of gap. He can seemingly make anyone do anything that he wants simply by talking at them very fast. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit. A little bit thrown, but recovers very quickly when this gift of gab does not allow him to pawn this pre-freshman off on someone else. Then there is a, this, I was about to say, series of hijinks, but I guess there's really one hijinks where the, the pre-fresh follows Jeremy Piven around, or, or Drass, and they end up finding the corsets. So Jeremy Piven is giving him a tour of campus. Eventually, they end up at the corsets, where they're like, well, the Cosheads this week, they're protesting me. Yeah, the Cosheads are defined as a group of people who find a life-threatening issue or a world-threatening issue, and they stick with it for about a week. Um, and for and this, you know, and 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 last week, I don't remember what it was last week, but this week they are all vegan protesters, uh, and they have barricaded the entrance to the school's cafeteria, which is serving chili burgers. Um, to hold a, a protest that involves the mock, mock execution of a cow while uh, a guy in a straw hat plays an acoustic guitar and sings protest songs and uh, a young girl named Moonbeam uh, chants, what don't we eat? Why don't we eat it? Through a megaphone for what appears to be hours. Jeremy Piven, together with the prefrosh and other people in the pit, they end up like just like throwing raw meat on them. Right. Yes, they uh, and that that is that's the event that kicks off this pre-frosh having to run from yeah. everyone on campus. Is that he is uh, he is not quick enough to heed the uh, the run <laughs> signal, and uh, and gets caught coming out of the building basically. Uh, but yeah, they dump uh, they dump what is described later in the movie as way more than a hundred pounds of uh, of raw and cooked meat onto uh, onto this protest, including. The guy who is being played, who is playing the cow in the mock execution, takes a load of raw hamburger to the back of the head, just as the paper mache executioner's axe comes down on him. It's pretty great. So, Matt, you you picked this movie because it is rated rotten by critics. It is rated rotten by both critics and audiences. I think that's terribly wrong. I was laughing almost throughout the entire movie. I I think it is hilarious. I think it is really funny. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very funny movie. And I 
I wonder if this movie didn't play in 1996. And then I wonder again if it didn't play in 2006. But it is really difficult for me to look at this movie as a person who is on Twitter in 2021 and not see this as like the best movie made about social media. I recognize all of these groups from my time on various social media platforms. The cause heads who follow sort of these little leader figures mindlessly from pointless cause to pointless cause that they know nothing about and they're just there to chant slogans and have little drum circles. I recognize those people. The idea of like this prefrosh Tom Lawrence becoming sort of the villain of the day to the point where everyone is chasing, everybody on campus wants to kill this person. And then they totally give up and forget about it when he receives the totally symbolic punishment of, of Draws telling his friend Moles, you take him downstairs and you beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Which never happens, obviously. Once, as soon as, as soon as that punishment has been administered, all of those people are lining up to pay five bucks to get into their party to drink themselves senseless and listen to George Clinton, who is in this movie, along with uh, the entire parliament, uh, playing playing songs from what at the time was their new album. So this is one of the crazy things about this movie is that uh, one of these guys, I, I I forget what he's called. Is it Garrett? No. Uh, Gutter. His name is Gutter. Gutter. Played by, played by John Favreau. Gutter or John Favreau. He's going to go see... George Clinton. No, he's here. not. That's the funny part. What? Is he not? Is that not what he's he doesn't even is? know who George Clinton is? Oh. He is, he is like a grunge punk guy. He is going, and he only knows modern music. He is going to see a band called the Merkins. Do you know what a Merkin is, Thomas? No. Um, a Merkin, little little showbiz trivia for you here. A Merkin is um is a pubic wig. A merkin is the wig that people wear when they have to show pubic hair that doesn't match their own. <laughs> so, John Favreau, he, he's supposed to like get beer for the party that they he's are He's going to get beer for the party, except he goes to the Jerrytown house first because they are his ride to this punk concert that he wants to attend. And he gets so stoned that he has a nightmare that he is in the middle of the Robert Bork confirmation hearings. With, yeah. Did you catch a little cameo by uh, President Joe Biden? Uh, Joe Biden, uh, Ed Kennedy, and uh, Johnny Isaacson? Uh, Isaacson? What's his name? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so, so he has a nightmare <laughs> that he is being questioned about his drug use by Edward Kennedy at the in place of Robert Bork. Uh, whereupon the the two uh, stoners, the two the two like tie dye clad potheads from Jerrytown, tell the committee that in fact not only has he done drugs, but but he smoked two major bong loads. He knows how to carve and everything. He ends up having a bad trip and being late to the liquor store because he can't get beer. He just sits in a parking lot pick, picking his nose. And stumbles across the tour bus for George Clinton. George Clinton's tour bus has gotten lost trying to get to Hartford, Connecticut, where the Jerrytown guys are going to go see it. They're going to go see George Clinton in Hartford. But Clinton is running late. They they give Gutter a ride back to the fraternity house, whereupon Jeremy Piven 
convinces them to play at the party. This is where I get really confused because they, they have completely failed with the PR for this movie, uh, this party event. The, the 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 two guys they sent out to like nail up flyers or whatever they stopped after one flyer and instead they go and they do a radio ad for the party yeah and, but it's and- not the radio ad that gets all the people thomas it gets a few but what gets the but okay so to back up to back up here because we have not touched on act what is actually the conflict of the movie the real conflict of the movie here is that Jessica Walter playing is President Garcia, potentially, President Garcia Thompson delivers to the Pitt residents their damage bill and threatens to kick them off campus if they can't pay $7,000 by the end of the semester. And rather than go get jobs, they decide to pay it off by having a big party. The party is a thing that was anticipated by the administration They want to use the party to gather sensitivity complaint forms, which they can use to have all of the students expelled. Right, That's the basic conflict. Right. If if they get enough complaints, they will be able to kick Jeremy Piven and his gang out of the building and off campus. Not just just out of the building, but out of school completely. They ultimately end up getting there, getting enough people into the building to raise the money by having uh, our prefrosh Tom Lawrence come back to the building with the giant crowd of students that have been chasing him literally all fucking day at this yeah, point. He has pissed off the cosheads, the BLM, the nerds, uh, uh, the, the womanists. No, he, no, he the, the womanists are the only group actually that isn't pissed off at him. He is he has pissed off the entire audience to the uh, intramural ultimate frisbee. Uh, championship because uh, he ran through the field and accidentally stole the Frisbee. And apparently they only have one Frisbee. Uh, He also pisses off some townies who are chasing it too. And they are all brought to the party. They're all brought to the party and uh, they have a, they have a little argument in line about who should get to stand at the front of the line, whether it's the, the, the African-Americans who've been in, whose, whose ancestors were enslaved or the gays who are subject to discrimination and ridicule wherever oh, they go. Or the women that are discriminating, discriminating, discriminating against, against worldwide. The world. And they have, they all have this argument about which diversity group is higher in the pyramid as they are standing in line to pay their five bucks to get into the party to drink beer. While they're at the party, they start to discover that maybe it's not actually that bad. Maybe, maybe some of the conflict between these various groups is because they don't understand each other or actually know anything about anybody else. Uh, there is a, a fantastic little encounter between the two womenists who are sort of, um, to paint a picture here, like militant feminists with, you know, picture a woman with like three nose piercings and seven rings in one ear and in cargo shorts, right? These two womenists encounter a football player who's like trying to hit on them, but nicely. You know, he's like, hey, you guys want a beer? And uh, and they interpret that as as a request for them to look at his penis. I assume it's the same football player. I don't quite remember. He offers to actually bring them things, like to go get them a drink. Yeah, and and uh, and, and after initially telling him to pack up his rape culture and take a take a hike, what these what these what these women realize is that if you're if you're nice to these people, they'll just bring you stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, this is like a big revelation. They didn't get that before. They didn't understand. Tell me, Thomas, when you were watching that scene where they're all in the line and they're talking about whether African-Americans who've been, who've been enslaved or, or gays or, or women, which group should be at the front of the line? Did you think at all about intersectionality? Because that's what that scene is. That scene is played out a hundred times a day in in social media and in certain ideological corners of of regular media mm. arguing about which which diversity group is at the top of the particular hierarchy which one is the most is the most discriminated against the most victimized and therefore should get the most privileges well i mean uh- as Jeremy Piven tells us at one point in the movie during like the Frisbee game, I think, is that it's like the hippie Olympics. Everyone's the loser. This, this is true. <laughs> this is true. It, oh, no, that's not Jeremy Piven, though. That's actually David Spade. So we haven't talked really at all about David Spade and Jessica Walter. In this Who are movie. the villains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So David Spade runs the uh, secret fraternity of balls and shaft. Um <laughs> Who have their own their own secret uh, clubhouse that you have to answer you have to you have to deliver a password to get into. Oh, uh, the password great. system consists of three awesome. questions. The, the the questions are: Who is America's greatest president? Ronald Reagan. Uh, what is a casual shoe for yachting? And the answer uh, to that one is a bluker. Yeah, yeah, whatever that is. It's a casual shoe for yachting <laughs> and. And uh, and 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 uh, they killed our Lord. Uh, the Jews. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and those are the questions that you have to answer to get into into their fraternity. At one point, uh, David Spade asks Tom Lawrence uh, asks asks Chris Young's character if he is Mayflower material. And <laughs> when when Tom is is like, huh? Uh, David Spade says, uh, it's a boat. Your ancestors obviously didn't come over on it, but it's the 90s and we'll take what we can get. (laughs) But it's great. Like when they, quote unquote, capture uh, Tom Lawrence, they're like examining like his tie. What brand is it? Who who tailored his suit and things like that. And they're like, look at his tie and his complexion. He's definitely one of us. (laughs) Yeah. And he's, he's sort of taken in by this group of, Wasps. College Republican waspy types who, again, are like very familiar characters on Twitter. Like, I feel like you can start putting names and faces, you know, the big meathead guy who's like, I've done a little collage work myself. Like, I feel like I know who that guy is. The one who's the one whose job is to be the like the the greeter, you know, explaining that the problem with the other students on campus is that they're they're dirty. They're stupid. And worst of all, poor. Yeah. All right. It's it's yeah. a slightly different kind of it's these guys are all the sort of like rich, waspy, white-collar Republicans who have thrown in with the the like MAGA Republicans to keep their campaign consultant spots. It's great. The pit has to raise seven thousand dollars. They throw this party. They invite everyone on campus. Then it turns out that even though they raise seven thousand dollars, seven thousand and some dollars, whatever it is, they are still going to be evicted. And David Spade and his gang of KKK Republicans are going to get to house. They have to think of think of a different plan. Their new plan 
is uh, their new plan is actually kind of timely with the news that the Cleveland Indians have changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians, actually. Their plan is to uh, disrupt the bicentennial event uh, at which the president is going to unveil the, the school's new mascot and change the name from the, of, the, of the teams from the Port Chester Indians to the Port Chester Whooping Cranes to have a, an endangered species as the uh, as the mascot to the, the horror price. of the of the trustees here uh one of the trustees is uh colin fox from um uh what whose line is it anyway he's one of those guys that like i feel like i know him from something okay but anyway uh, he's not from whose line whatever it doesn't matter all right so the the new plan for the for the pit is to disrupt the bicentennial event where jessica walter is going to unveil the school's new mascot which is a whooping crane <laughs> they're going to change the name of the school from the, the port chester indians to the port chester whooping cranes and um the trustees of the school think that she is insane especially after she declares that she wants to take away uh the building from the hockey team and give it to the bisexual asian studies <laughs> department which apparently is a full department on campus <laughs> uh, thomas how do you feel about that would you like to be a chaired professor of studying bisexual Asians? I mean, it, it sounds like job security. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they disrupt this event and uh, and, and Jeremy Piven makes a, an emotional speech to the assembled students about um, how they had finally been able to put together, put aside their differences and, and come together in pursuit of having a good time like young people really ought to. Right. Right. Uh- at their party, at the at their party, and um, and and causes them to protest against the idea of having protests, uh, which leads the trustees to sack uh, the president, and then I guess rescind the. It does. It's not exactly the strongest ending in the world no. from a narrative standpoint. This is one of the places in the movie where they sort of lose me. And I'm like, okay, so Jeremy Piven gets them to protest by protesting against protests? Yeah, they're all chanting, uh, we're not going to protest. And for some reason, this is like a big enough deal. I mean, I get, I, get, I, get why, I get why Jessica Walter is sacked as the head of the university. Makes sense totally fine what i don't get is then why these like why her replacement doesn't just follow through and expel this guy (laughs) but it doesn't have to make sense it's the last 10 minutes of a screwball comedy and it does end with david spade running away from all of the same people who were uh who were chasing chris young around campus the day before (laughs) uh after he delivers delivers a, a his own little speech into a hidden microphone castigating virtually every other person on campus as a a whiny hippie crybaby minority or a butt pirate so so i i have two things to say about uh the movie here then one is david spade david spade is the true hero of the movie and number two i really enjoyed asking my sister who do you think that is like listen to his voice who is that and she was like I really recognize, I, I don't know who it is. And eventually I, I showed her a photo of my phone. I was like, it's David Spade. And she got it. But like 1994, David Spade still looked 
so young that he is almost unrecognizable. He is one of the few people in the movie who actually looks the age they're supposed to be. He looks like he should be a college senior. Um, Jessica Walter looks like she could be a president of university. Oh yeah, sure, sure. But like compare them to, uh, I mean, like, like, like Chris Young does not look like a high schooler. I think he was like 35 when they made that movie. I think this movie is, is really good in 2020, 2021 as a movie about social media and as a movie about sort of our current media climate and the way in which people interact with one another. I think there's actually a lot of, um, maybe it's accidental, maybe it's not, sort of seriousness in this film, whether it's whether it's the mob mentality of the various groups, whether it's the total unseriousness of people like the cause heads who take themselves absolutely seriously, but couldn't tell you anything about the causes that they care about and flip from one to the next, like they're totally interchangeable. Or they, do you remember the Nelson Mandela protester at the beginning of the movie? <laughs> Who's clutching? He's clutching a piece of paper, a flyer. Wait, what does the and guy he's say? He's screaming at Jeremy Piven. Yeah, free I, Nelson Mandela. He's already his, released. His his friend says they freed him already, and he's like, oh. And then no. you have, you know, so so you you have all these just in, inherently unserious, ridiculous, but also totally self serious people. These people who really only care about their participation in something not that they are participating in something that is important but believe that by participating in it it becomes important veganism did not matter a week ago when the cause heads didn't care about it right and 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 they they ultimately don't know anything that's the other piece of this if you look at like look at the womenists we haven't talked about a lot really but the womenists are some of the best characters in, in the movie, there, there are three of them. There's sort of womenist number one, womenist number two, and Samantha. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and yeah. Samantha is Jeremy, Jeremy Piven, Piven's love interest. Form, yeah, love interest, former girlfriend, except they clearly both still like one another. It's just that whenever they try and communicate, literally a bunch of womenists will stand in a line in between them and like, for not not force them apart exactly, but like they have a whistle, you yeah. know, like oh Jeremy Piven's coming over to talk to his ex girlfriend. Sisters form a wall, and then they blow the whistle. Really serious about the idea that she participated in a phallus naming. Yeah, you know, they no, have strong feelings no. about the idea of a phallus naming, but they aren't aware that boys will bring you beer at parties if you're like, hey, could you just go get me a beer? I really enjoy this movie. Uh, I give it at least a seven out of ten. Like, it was really enjoyable. If you enjoy 90s comedies, I think that you will enjoy this movie, right, Matt? Yeah, it's a very 90s comedy. Yeah. It feels dated. It looks dated. But it kind of, but it works, right? Yeah. I think most of it, most of it, most of it works and the highs are good enough that they carry the load. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week. Uh, if you want a podcast that's not at all similar to this, listen to The Enduring Interest, hosted by Flag Taylor. Our most recent episode is uh, Claire Cavanaugh on uh, uh, Polish. Phone. I can't pronounce his name. It's in Polish. Man.
Dan. <laughs> 